This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer. A free-for-all Friday. You're asking to hear something I don't want to say. But if I do say it, I think you ought to hear it. You got anything on your chest besides your chin, you better get it off. All right, then you asked for it. Yes, we did. So lay it on us. Free-for-all Friday means you set the tone. Here is Libby Snymer. Good afternoon, and welcome to this free-for-all Friday, and gong hei fat joy. Happy Lunar New Year. It is the year of the ox represented by hard work, honesty. Well, let us hope so. Let us hope that uh, we have a better year than we had in 2020. Uh, so moving right along, as you heard in Bob's news, Prime Minister announced a date for those quarantine hotels to be up and running, which means that uh, travelers coming in through airports will have to take a test at the airport and then will have to go into quarantine at a designated hotel at a cost of $2,000. What do you think of that. Uh, some people think it's unfair. Also, we've heard some horror stories about what's happening at some of the other quarantine hotels, the ones uh, that are frankly intended for poor people who do not have to pay $2,000, uh, but don't have a place where they can reasonably self-isolate. We've heard uh, they're practically being in prison there in some cases. They can't order anything in. They can't leave their rooms at all. So uh, is it going to be a little more like a hotel with service in these $2,000 places? Uh, by the way, they do the same thing in Great Britain, and the cost there is £2,000, which is a lot more than 2000 Canadian dollars, but I guess there is a certain equivalency. Uh, so I am interested to hear what you think of that. Uh, there are other things. Now, uh, there's a new Angus Reid poll that show most Canadians believe the vaccine rollout was, is a failure. Um, I certainly think so. I've got to tell you that. And fewer than one third believe that everyone who wants a vaccine will receive one by September. And that is a promise that the prime minister keeps repeating and repeated just minutes ago. And he announced some extra doses uh, from Pfizer to arrive by uh, the end of September. Well, if they're just arriving by the end of September, they won't be in our arms by then. But want to know what you think of all of that. Uh, we will begin. Let's go to the phones. And we've got Ron in Guelph. Hi, Ron. Hello, Libby. Thanks for taking my call. Well, I'm all fired up over the leaders of the teachers' unions crying that, oh, the mental health of our teachers is going to suffer. Well, cry me a river, boo-hoo-hoo. What about all those people who have lost their jobs, those who have lost their um, their businesses and everything else because of the lockdowns and the pandemic? What about their mental health, Libby? Uh, yeah, good good question. I mean, uh, the it it's shown that uh you know most everybody's mental health has been affected by this well i mean it's 
I, I just, it, it's hard for me to have sympathy for the teachers who, at the end of the day, still have a job, they're still getting paid, and they're going to be, I've got to work another week. I mean, I mean, this, I mean, this is, they're still working, all right? They're still being paid. I mean, is it an inconvenience for me? Yes, because my son is at Concordia in Montreal, and we had planned on doing some skiing at Mont Tremblant. I'm sure you're familiar with it, right? Yep, I'm from Montreal, yep. So, yes, it's a small inconvenience for me, and yes, but in the long run, um, why doesn't uh, Mr. Hamlin and Mr. Bishop consider the mental health of some of the other people out there who are really suffering? Well, their their job is, is to deal with their members. And I've got to say, I'm sure it's not easy, uh, you know, going back and forth from in-class learning to online learning. A lot of these teachers have their own kids at home while they're trying to do this. I mean, I, I have a lot of sympathy for all parents who are trying to do their own jobs from home uh, while helping their, their kids do this online learning. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I suspect Ron, that a lot of people agree with you that that uh, the teachers are in a pretty good position and shouldn't be complaining. But at the end, at the end of the day, March break is theoretically just postponed to April, and uh, well, I didn't see yeah, the I mean, government uh, being moved by those complaints. I mean, I drive a school bus, so I'm in contact with a lot of parents. The ones that I spoke with this morning, who are out there getting their kids. You know, yes, uh, some of them are being inconvenienced, but the bottom line was a number of these people says, well, I don't get to go and visit my family. Isn't that the whole idea of postponing the March break? Well, it, exactly. It's also, I mean, a lot of these children, the ones here in Toronto, in Peel, they aren't even back at school yet. So what are they going to do? They're going to go back to school and then immediately, almost immediately, have this March break because if all goes well in the hot zones, uh, they'll be back in school in fe- February twenty second, and then uh, you know two weeks later get a break. It doesn't make a lot of sense. No, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But you know what? You've got a lot of calls to uh, to take. So thank you very much for your time. Okay, thank you. Alrighty, Goodbye. let us go to Warren in Oshawa. Hey, Warren. Hi, Libby. How are you doing? Fine. How are you? Great. I hope your listeners and Canadians, uh, when it's our federal election time, vote to get Mr. Trudeau out of office. Uh, You know, I understand we had a pandemic around the world, but when this all started, where was our Mr. Trudeau? He was in North Africa trying to suck up to uh, leaders for the UN Security Council. We had a railway blockade back last January, February, and yet he was overseas. We knew this pandemic would be coming, and yet, you know, he was out spending our you know what? Uh, uh, the one thing I do have to correct you there, we all thought that it would not come here. We even had Teresa Tam saying that the risk was low. So well, even though we were watching it in China, I started covering it in January, like a lot of other people, um, uh, I believed it wasn't coming here, and uh, I'm not an expert, so so there you go. Um, and maybe that's human nature. We look and and we say, okay, it's not going to happen to us. Well, it well, did. I watch. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I uh, was watching the news back in February. Of course, we went from China to South Korea, and I said to my father, who lives with me, I said, "You watch. It will come 
over here in North America. And at the end of February, obviously, we got our first case in Vancouver, and then it just spread like wildfire. And, you know, for him to start doing testing now at the airports, that should have been done way back in at least May of last year, for sure. Well, yeah, there's a whole other thing with testing. Now he is uh, yelling at the provinces because finally, and I don't understand this because uh, the provinces and especially Doug Ford have been screaming for more tests. They got these rapid tests. Finally, the government sent them out and they're not being deployed. I have no idea what the possible explanation for that would be most of them are sitting where in warehouses and i uh, i i mean it leaves me speechless i have no idea what the possible explanation for that could be well he keeps saying at his news conference every day we we got your back canadians and yet you know brian pallister of new um, manitoba he's looking at his own uh, company in a within his own province for vaccines now because he cannot depend on the federal government you know, right, so, but that like, that that is uh, quite. If if that pans out, that yeah, company yeah. is just starting. If that pans out, it's a long way off. So I I think that what we can glean from all of this is that we're at the stage where at first they were all making nice, and now they're all blaming each other. Warren, yeah. thanks for your call. Great, have a good weekend. You too. And and yes, uh, but Warren brought up a pretty good point. Uh, what are we all going to remember come around election time? And I think that all kinds of governments are going to have a lot to answer for. And we've got Danielle in Mississauga, and you are a teacher. Hello, Danielle. Thanks for calling. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? I'm pretty good. Um, I'm a PM teacher, obviously, and I'm going back to school on Tuesday. Oh, okay. Uh, this this uh, spring break thing, I, I have to disagree with the first caller. Um, before going back to school, I'm, so I'm doing half online and half in school. Before that, I was at home. I was told to be at home to do teaching. This is a job that doesn't start at 8.30 and finishes at 3.30 when the bell goes off. This is a job that starts at morning that you have to plan. And then... The government took away all of our planning time. So you could be online at 3.30 when it's done. What do you do to the kids that need extra help or um, you see things going on in the background and they need that, that virtual hug because their parents are not being nice to them? So I, I was online till 6 o'clock. My husband said, is this what online teaching is going to be like until June? So I wholeheartedly disagree. The spring break is not only for teachers, it is so vitally important for the kids who are sitting six and eight hours in front of a computer screen, which is not good for them. They need that break. They need to have contact with their parents. They need, they can't be doing schoolwork all the time. And teaching online is the most challenging thing I've ever done in all of my teaching career. Uh, I I hear you. The Minister of Education said that the decision, and he's not taking away the break, he's postponing it, hopefully, uh, was made after consultation with public health and what they are worried about. And we had a very dire warning yesterday is that the, the preeminence of these new variants could lead to a disaster and that the disaster, uh, that March break timing w- would make that even worse. Uh, does does uh, that argument not, is that not an argument that you agree with? 
agree with it, but according to their projections, if there is a third wave, that third wave is supposed to hit around April 15th. Now, how convenient is that? There's a huge chance that we're all going to go back online if indeed that third wave hits us. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't argue with that there, and I don't uh, have a crystal ball. I've, you know, it, I find it, frankly, uh, disturbing, and you have to weigh these projections because they're often the worst-case scenario is that on yes. the one hand, we're reopening things, and on the other, they're, the, the scientists are saying uh, we could have a third wave that makes this second wave look like, uh, you know, fun times. Uh, exactly, and and the the problem is with this third wave, it's it's uh, not discriminating. It's going to attack those little kids, and I'm worried about it. And I'm not sure, um, Mr. Lecce, and I'm being very kind by calling him Mister. Um, he is encouraging kids to wear masks outside, which again defeats the purpose about that that a close uh, human contact to be able to see someone smile. It, it is, this is the problem with online teaching right now and, and, and segregating kids. Is, I mean, I say segregating. They're six feet apart. They can't do this. They can't sit near their friends. They, you know, it's hard on their mental uh, well-being. And that's why March break was so important. Um, for teachers, we don't care. Honestly, we don't. Like, I talked to my colleagues, and we said, if they give us a four-day week for the next five weeks or something, we don't care. We're teachers, and we're there, and we're going to do our job. And if we are teachers, it's because we love what we're doing. And I'm one of those people who loves what they're doing. And we're not a bunch of spoiled uh, boo-hoo-hoo-cry-me-a-river people. Okay. We, we go above and beyond. And I speak for all of the teachers. Danielle, I really appreciate your call and thank you very much for your perspective. Thank you very much. Have a great weekend. You too. Okay. Dennison Brampton. Oh, he's he's gone now. He also wanted to talk about the teachers. Uh, maybe he rethought what he was saying after listening to Danielle. You know, I suspect that may have happened. But if not, if it was a little glitchy thing, Dennison Brampton, you can call back. But um, yeah. Um, sometimes we just have to kind of, uh, listen to another perspective, walk a mile in somebody else's shoes, all of that. So, uh, we have a lot to talk about. There's this issue with the teachers. There's the new, uh, pandemic quarantine hotels. I want to talk more about the rollout and, uh, the politics of it. And I also, when we come back from the break, the Globe and Mail did some really interesting reporting comparing what happened in long-term care here in the second uh, wave with with the rollout, which is a real mess, and other provinces that got it right. And I want to share some of that with you when we return on the other side of the break. The number is 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. We'll be right back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. 
Fight back with Libby Snymer. When one considers the meaning of life, it is a struggle between alternative viewpoints of life itself. A free-for-all Friday. And without the ability to defend one's own viewpoint against other, perhaps more aggressive ideologies, then reasonableness and moderation could quite simply disappear. Name your topic and be as deep as you like, as long as there's a point in there somewhere. Here is Libby Snymer. Welcome back to this Free For All Friday. I'm going to get right to the phones, and let's go to Joseph in Toronto. Hi, Joseph. Hi, Joseph. Uh, Hi, Libby, rather. I'm glad to hear that you're from Montreal. I remember that. Okay. So this is an audience that uh, reaches out to the Zoomer population. When I was a kid in high school in Montreal, I I had a math teacher. Her name was Mr. Zweig, who also taught in Baron Bing. This is really bringing back memories. And one day we had a couple of extra minutes, and he says to us, guys, do you know the difference? between a million and a billion. And we all like stupefied. Everybody knows the difference. It's a thousand. He says, every second to count one number will take you 11 days to reach a million. It'll take you 33 years to reach a billion. Why do I bring this example? Because our prime minister tells us we're getting all of these wonderful vaccines, 100,000 here, 50,000 there. These numbers are impressive, but they don't make a dent in the, in the numbers that need to be inoculated. If we start inoculating 50,000 people per day, it'll take us more than two years to inoculate 36 million Canadians. So I'm very concerned. Firstly, we don't have a vaccine. But more than that, I don't think we have the logistics to handle the load necessary to get us vaccinated within the next nine months. I, I think that uh, I think we will, because I, I think it wasn't rolled out properly. Certainly in Ontario, other provinces did a better job. Uh, we, we've seen, uh, you know, with big photo ops unveiling these vaccination centers and they're done by public health and there are problems with public health, but, uh, they're used to having these flu clinics. And here in Ontario, the, the premier has said he's going to, get those vaccines to pharmacies and to doctor's offices. And those are the people that know how to get those shots out. And if those vaccines go to pharmacies and doctor's offices, uh, I think that we will get it done. The timeline the prime minister has given, you know, I just uh, uh, fewer than one third of Canadians believe him. And I don't get it. He keeps repeating it. So, you know, that's that's something that people will perhaps remember. Well, September is, an uh, what is it, about eight months away, seven months away. Right. And if you do the math, you have to inoculate 180,000 people per day. Well, exactly. That's a, that's if, a single dose, not even double dosing. Uh, you know what? I uh, The one thing that we should put on our little to-do list to check is... Uh, how many um how how many people pharmacies across the country and i don't know if they do it in every province it's different in terms of just the flu shot because again i think that if it gets into pharmacies and doctors offices that there is a chance, but will it happen by the end of September? Very few people so believe it's actually, that. It's interesting you say this. So while we're uh, waiting for the vaccines to arrive, you would think that the logistics machine has started. I'll let, it, I'll let you in a secret. I'm a physician. We have not been contacted as an administration center. So I don't think the logistics, we are, there's talk about the logistics, and it's taken years for the flu vaccine to be distributed to pharmacies and so on. Look how well the testing has taken place. Testing has not been done properly here. Exactly. I've seen images of the United Kingdom where they have the National Guard or their army administering it. I've seen uh, pictures in the United States where some of the pharmacies are doing it. 
I'm hoping, I'm hoping that we can get it into patients. We need to inoculate our population to save us. Well, you're, you're a physician. Uh, do you have a family practice? Is that what no, you do? No, no. I, I don't want to go into the details because I'm going to give myself away. <laughs> okay. Well, no, I'm just, I'm just saying that if, if you had a family practice, I was going to ask you, do, do you, do you give the flu vaccine to a lot of your patients and are you confident you could get a lot of them in there? But, it, you know, not every, every doctor is different in terms of what Well, the do. family practitioners don't, don't forget the flu vaccine has been going basically to the elderly or those who are, who are unwell, but to the general population, a lot of 40-year-olds don't like taking a flu vaccine. And so, you know, you start looking at the seniors, especially if they're traveling. So the numbers are a little bit smaller. I don't think it's, it's going to be the numbers that we need to inoculate here in Canada now for this, this coronavirus. I think this is our only bet against future things. We need to get people vaccinated. Yeah, uh, you bet. And <laughs> so I'm hoping, I mean, this, this blip where I, we feel, I feel very in a cold and lonely place because other countries are beating us to this and it's not fair. Uh, the last time I looked, which was on Monday, we were 37th in the world in the rollout. Now, is that how you think of yourself as a Canadian? Absolutely not. I always thought of myself in the top five of the world. A great country, more importantly, the best people in the world, a country that's made up of, of hardworking, committed people to peace and everything. And it's very, very frustrating. Uh, and, and not knowing, um, I have elderly parents, elderly mother-in-law. There's been no letters saying you're on a list somewhere. Uh, I won't even go into details about what happens in our own practices because it's a lot of stuff that uh, we can't really talk about too much publicly, but I'm, I am very, very concerned about well, getting, the, I, getting, the, getting the vaccine out to the people. Okay, well, I, I, I hear you. I'm concerned too, and uh, I hope that ultimately it does get out. I hope we're to... wrong, right? I hope, in this case, I hope I'm really wrong. <laughs> okay, well, uh, keep listening, and yeah. uh, you know, we'll see if you're wrong or you're right. Right, right. Have a pleasant weekend. Take you it easy. You too. Thanks. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, well, there you go. And that is something that I have been hearing and you, our audience, have been hearing when we have doctors on is that they have not been included in the conversation about the rollout, at least not yet. And I promised some information and I'm going to give it now because this really upset me. And it has been. And that is the fact that, you know, when we got those first doses back in December, they were supposed to go to long-term care. A lot of them did not. Then the premier said, long-term care, we will finish with them at the very beginning of February. Well, now that's been put back. And here's the thing. So in the first place, hospitals were tasked with giving out the vaccines because they had refrigerators. And apparently, General Rick Hillier, who is in charge of our rollout, said, prioritize speed over accuracy. So somewhere in this shuffle, long-term care residents were forgotten and put back from the priority they were supposed to have. So we still have thousands of long-term care residents who are waiting for their first dose. Uh, it's February the 12th. Now, we are way behind. Let me read you the list of provinces. British Columbia, Manitoba, Quebec, and Prince Edward Island have all finished giving at least the first doses to long-term care. And in Alberta, 96% of residents in long-term care received their first dose as of February the 8th, a few days ago. So we are at the back of the line. 
And frankly, I think some of that problem, some of that blame uh, should go to General Rick Hillier. I have uh, been requesting an interview with him. Now, I don't usually talk about this stuff. I figure it's my problem. And uh, I think the last was, you know, uh, next Shrove Tuesday, maybe in months, I don't have high hopes. But I would like to ask him about that. He keeps saying it was the technical requirements of the vaccine, but almost every other province, including tiny Prince Edward Island, has beaten us on this. And the numbers are staggering. So when we're talking just about long-term care, a total of uh, about 3,700 residents, the numbers I'm looking at don't include today, have died since the beginning of the pandemic last March, including nearly 1,500 in the last six weeks. In the last six weeks, and uh, six weeks is the time since we started receiving those vaccines. It is just completely unacceptable. Okay, I've, I've said my thing. <laughs> I'm going to let other people talk. Okay, let us go to Tom and Ajax. Hi, Tom. Good afternoon. Uh, on the heels of that last very excellent call, I'm, maybe I'm, conf- I'm confused or hoping you can help me out. Uh, this vaccine rollout by the federal government has not been just another fail. It's been an epic fail. Okay. <laughs> and, I, you know, provinces and territories can't really distribute vaccines that they don't have and are not coming in a big hurry. I'm complete. The silence is deafening. Not one single provincial, territorial, or federal uh, advocacy group or lobbyist group, and especially the federal opposition parties, no one has called for the resignation of Anita Anand, the federal procurement minister, who just two days ago came out just like, I guess his conceit is uh, contagious, like the prime minister. I am responsible for this. Uh, well, Tom, you can be the first. <laughs> what can well, I, I say? I, I, I'm calling for her to be punted right across the Rideau Canal back to Oakville to a back bench seat. And maybe our federal government might be able to find a minister for a change who's capable of doing a job. Okay, you know what? So first of all, the one thing I would point out is that, you know, when she was appointed before all of this, I don't think anyone in their wildest dreams imagined that this would be an important uh, portfolio. I think, uh, you know, she's a a young woman and uh, was given uh, this portfolio, uh, which is, you know, was I don't think it was seen as something that you really needed something senior on. And, um, yeah, uh, you know, how much of this is her? We, we, there are all kinds of, um, you know, I've talked to pharmaceutical executives, former pharmaceutical executives who say that this government kind of wound down our, our local industry. They didn't know who to call. You know, at the beginning, the prime minister, uh, it took weeks of people howling before he actually got a call through to the CEOs of Pfizer and Moderna. So I don't know if she is the appropriate person to blame, but there, Tom and Ajax, you're the first person to call for Anita Anand's resignation. She's, she's not old, but she's not young either. I believe she's 57. So Really? You know, Oh, she looks amazing. (laughs) I looked it up because it was just, I think it was Toronto Life Magazine did an interview with her just two days ago where she was ballyhooing how she's responsible for her in charge of all this. And, you know, people don't have a a problem calling for provincial ministers to be fired for incompetence. Um, This is 
I don't know why she seems to be getting a free pass on this. Maybe it's because if the prime minister Luz has to get rid of another female minister or has one resigned, he can no longer call himself a feminist. Okay, you know what? Uh, I am going to look up Anita <clears throat> Anand's age, not that it is the most important thing. Uh, but, uh, Tom, thanks for your call. All right, have a great weekend. Okay, you too. Uh, okay. All right, <clears throat> let us go to Denison Brampton. You wanted to talk about teachers. Yeah, well, you know what? That teacher uh, that that called in was eloquently said pretty much what I wanted to say. But I I think the emphasis here is, and, and this is part of the problem. The problem in this province is 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 the lack of consultation that's taking place. I don't know if there's anyone, uh, school boards or teachers at the, at the table who are, you know, advising the um, as one of the committees on on how we should move forward. But the gentleman, he left out an important context, and that is when the union spoke about it, they they talked in terms of not just the teachers, but the families and the children themselves. And he, he conveniently left that out so he could take, uh, you know, another crack at teachers, which has been um, a constant theme um, on the show, you know, through the years. And so uh, that's why I was calling. Uh, with respect to the, uh, and first of all, it is Valentine's Day on Sunday, so um, a Valentine's Day shout out to you and your the people involved with your show. Uh, you put Thank on you. a great, uh, great show every day, every week. I, I really enjoy it. So happy Valentine's Day, everyone. On on a on a, I guess that some people would accuse me of being a Pollyanna, but I I hear people's frustration with uh, the vaccine rollout, and I'm feeling it as well. Uh, but like you, I'm I'm positive, more positive in terms of us being able to get get it done by and large because the pharmacies have already said we're ready to go within 48 to 72 hours. Uh, get us the vaccines and we'll do the job. And that's where I I got my uh, high dose flu shot. Very easy to do. Uh, the pharmacy knows me well, and it is actually easier than going to the doctor's office because right now they're only seeing people by uh, telephone consultation or, in very limited cases, uh, appointments. And they're not running the clinics uh, as they've done in the past. But I did note this morning that the Pfizer CEO has confirmed 4 million doses will arrive by the end of March. Uh, he's also said we are going to accelerate the 10.8 million doses uh, that were to come later in in the um, late spring summer. They're now coming April to June, and we've also signed um, uh, additional uh, 40 million doses with Moderna. So, yeah, when are they? They're coming pretty late, and uh, there's there's another whole issue. So now we have to get six doses from a vial instead of five, and that's how Pfizer is counting it, but I'm not sure we have enough of the special syringes to do that. But Dennis, I'm glad you're an optimist. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm that optimistic about well, it all, but let us cold, hope. On this cold, wintry day, we need a dose of optimism. Okay, well, happy <laughs> Valentine's Day and, and happy Family Day on Monday. I will be here on Monday, by the way. Thanks, Dennis, for your call. And 
let us go to, oh, by the way, we looked it up and Anita Anand is 54 years old. Um, she looks pretty young in her pictures. Um, not that 54 is old. I guess that's what it looks like. So uh, let's go to Clay in Ajax. Hi, Clay. I can almost remember when I was 54. <laughs> Libby, I'm just curious. Like, uh, they're, they're calling, the carp is calling for Mary Fullerton's uh, dismissal. Yeah. What about the 75 inspectors? And what about the doctors that are under retainer to these homes? Why aren't they being punished in some way, too? I mean, that's, that's you know, it's, that's the way I look at why. Well, there, I, on, on the uh, issue of the inspections, I totally agree with you. During the first wave, they were inspecting nursing homes by phone. Yeah, telephone, yeah. And, and the galling thing about that is that these are very well-paid civil servants. And compare that to personal support workers who uh, have to work in multiple homes to make a living. They aren't paid a living wage, and they were going in under very dangerous circumstances. And, I mean, you can understand why civil servants wouldn't want to go into long-term care, but really uh, that was uh, appalling. And, and when they did go in, there's no enforcement. You exactly. look at some of these homes, and they have orders against them, and there's no consequence. And, and that's not the... Orders. That's yeah. not the civil servant's fault. No, you're right. It's not their job to enforce it, but but it it it's sort of failure upon failure upon failure. Yeah, and like I said, what about the doctors that are under retainer to these homes? Like they just didn't show up. Uh, I don't think you can say that as a blanket statement, but it was true in some cases. Absolutely. Yeah. No. And uh, another thing, I'll, I'll just quickly throw in: I'm a survivor of John's Manville, eh? and uh, what I'm saying here is. On Monday, the Ministry of Labor phoned and said, we're coming in for an inspection on Thursday. You know, that's almost as bad as inspecting something over the phone. Everything was shut down, you know? Yep. Uh, yep, I, I hear you. And that's uh, often how they inspected nursing homes. We're coming in. Okay. Anyway, happy Valentine. Thank you. You too, Clay. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay, it's time for another break. Let me give the numbers out before we go to break. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740, and we'll be right back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer, a free-for-all Friday. Step up, say your piece, and we promise not to interrupt. Just be lively about it. We have a lot of listeners hanging on your every word. Here is Libby Snymer. Welcome back to this Free For All Friday. And uh, I'm going to go to Gail in High Park, who has a very special birthday wish. Hello, Gail. Hi. I would just like to wish a happy birthday to Hazel McGallion for her 100th birthday on Sunday. Absolutely. And uh, Gail, you're giving me an opportunity to do a, a, a bit of a plug because I was lucky enough to sit down with Hazel a few weeks ago for a birthday interview. It was a very long interview. She she insisted on not doing Zoom, on being here with us. We were very socially distanced. We were masked and I had a very long talk with her and boy, she's had a fascinating life. She's a fascinating woman. And, uh, I, you know, they, 
there's nothing to cut from the interview. So I'm going to run it on Zoomer Week in Review in two parts. The first part is this Sunday, Valentine's Day, her birthday. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm focused on, uh, you know, we all kind of know a bit about her career, but most of us don't know about her early life. And she comes from very modest beginnings. And so we talked about that. And it, I found it really interesting and uh, I'm posting pictures all over Instagram. And then also on Monday at 10 o'clock at night, uh, we have a TV version of the whole thing. That is, it's an hour. Uh, it's, it's so uh, that's on Vision TV, which different channel, depending on what system you have. But uh, it was really, you know, there are some things that are just a, a, a real treat. And that for me was a real treat. And I've got to tell you, people, this is a really interesting and very down-to-earth woman like do you know she still cleans her own house oh she's she's a wonderful woman i really i really admire her well yeah so so thanks for that gail okay thank you okay bye-bye okay uh back to the usual stuff let's go to murray and malton hi murray hi libby how are you fine how are you good good uh, I have a granddaughter that's very, very social. She loves going to school and being with her friends. So let her go to school. If we're going to have another shutdown, uh, it's going to be in April, and she'll be shut down through the, uh, or she'll have her spring break through the shutdown. Now, my buddy also th- thinks that the government's doing it to, so by the time we end up in the shutdown and have a spring break, Trudeau will have his uh, uh, quarantine measures all in line, and people won't be able to travel. Well, they, they're, they're going to be in effect by February 22nd, and they're designed to make it very difficult to travel or very expensive anyway. So, uh, you know, if, if you have to, and it depends on if there's quarantine where you're going to. So if you, if you fly, you may or may not have to quarantine when you get there. And then when you come back, you have to provide, you have to take a test. You have to spend 2000 and I'm not sure if it might be 2000 per person. I'm not sure if it's per person or per room to be yeah, in a hotel. Yeah, I it to be per person. Per person uh, yeah. to quarantine in, in a hotel. So that's adding a big tab to your vacation and then you have to go home and quarantine for the rest of the two weeks well that's not a, a one-week spring break vacation that's that's like well, a three-week spring break well, vacation that's my argument with him but he still maintains his government's trying to screw everybody up for spring break and they won't be able to travel well that's the idea i mean i don't think they're making any bones about it they're not they they want people not to travel Exactly. But like I say, I'd, I'd like to see my granddaughter go to school, right? Right now, they're allowed to go to school. So why have spring break in the middle of her being able to go to school and being with her friends? Well, have yeah. When they have a next, our next shutdown. Well, the, the spring break is now going to be in April if we get there. Well, that's what I mean, right? Yeah. If we have it in March, right, then she won't be able to go to school and then we'll be in a shutdown and everything again. So... Right, so let her go to school for that yeah, extra week. What, so when is is she back in school or getting back to school? Yeah, she's going back to school. Okay. Right? How old is so she? She's twelve. She's twelve. Okay, yeah. that's good. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. Bye. 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 Okay. Uh, let us go to Dan in Brampton. Hi, Dan. 
Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. How are you? Good. I, I just wanted to comment on the, the fact that the European Union uh, is being a little bit stingy with their vaccines to Canada. And I guess they've obviously forgotten that 80 years ago, 1.1 million Canadians or 10% of the population volunteered to go to Europe and fight the tyranny that was oppressing them. And today they're free because of 1.1 million Canadians. And they should thank us for paying it forward. Well, they give us tulips, but I guess vaccines, not so much. Every, every, every Remembrance Day, all those countries say, oh, thank you, Canada, thank you. But let's have them put their money where their, where their words are, you know? Yeah. Yeah, they're taking care of their own people first, yeah. and that's what most people do. Yeah, well, Canada could have done that 80 years ago, but instead, uh, you know, 40, 44,000 Canadians died saving the Europeans. Yep, that is absolutely true, and that is a very good reminder. Yeah. Okay, Dan, thanks for your call. Thanks, Libby. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, uh, let me give the numbers out again, 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. Let's go to Melanie. Melanie in High Park. Hello, Melanie. Hi, Libby. I'm doing great. You are absolutely a wonderful lifeline to the city of Toronto. Thank you. Uh, by by taking calls that sometimes may be controversial, but I'm I'm a buff of history. I'm an absolute buff. History was my number one topic in school, and I know quite a bit, but not enough to know the whole story. But what concerned me yesterday, I my stomach got <laughs> upset. I felt sick when I heard on the news that uh, the police officers that shot into that car, remember we talked about a few weeks ago whether we'd find out who killed the baby, who uh, shot the baby. We found out yesterday that it was the police officers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Libby, if you were questioned by your boss, whoever that may be, to answer questions on how you did this show, how you did that, and you refused to answer that. The SIU yesterday said that they have no right to force a police officer to answer questions. None of them are answering any questions. How is it that our police act is allowing, when are we going to change the police act that when it comes to justice issues, they apply also to our police and to our institutions, which they do don't. And I'm also concerned, being a history buff uh, from the 1930s in what was going on in Europe at the time, that uh, judges were drinking champagne while the brown shirts were kicking people on the street because they thought it wasn't that important. So why is it that now we have so many police officers, ex-police officers, entering the political sphere, getting voted in or getting voted out, and yet nothing is changing. I believe that if you've been a police officer, you should not be allowed to be right in there in politics. And it, uh, politicians, I read from a Harvard study in the United St- States, are very afraid to uh, take on policing because the police have a lot of dirt on the politicians. Well, so I, 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 I don't know. 
know about that. But when but... I, oh, no, that's Harvard. I, can, I will mail it to you. But I'm concerned that we are allowing police officers not to have to answer questions when a baby is murdered and they can keep quiet. What is going on in this country? This was 1930s, 1934, 35. Well, the, the, I, I just want to refresh people's memory about that story and the the baby was abducted and uh the father was apparently uh shooting i don't know if he was shooting at police and they shot back i think what happened i don't think he was shooting i think what happened they put the spike down from what i heard from an ex-police officer the car goes totally out of control when you hear hit a spike you lose control Mm -hmm. of your car and they said that he was hit by the car by that man uh that was in the car now I would say to myself, let the guy go. If there's a baby in there, we're not going to start shooting. Because I attended the Sammy Yatim trial, and I was horrified when I heard them say that, listen, somebody could have been under the seat in the streetcar, and when you guys were shooting, you could have shot a child that was hiding in the streetcar. You don't start shooting without knowing who else is in the vehicle. Let the guy go. Do they want that on their conscience, that now they're the ones that executed that baby, okay, Melanie. Better, it would have been better for them to let that car go. Okay, okay. I think we know what she thinks about that. Um, A violent guy kidnapping or um, abducting a baby. Uh, I, I, I can see why police think they have to stop that car. On the other hand, she's right. We don't know very much about it. The officers involved, and it was determined that it was a police bullet that killed that baby, uh, are not legally required to talk to the SIU. So the next step is to see if charges will be laid. And then there might be a little more public information. But but um, yeah, that's the process that we have. They don't have to talk. Is that right? I'm sure they're all on paid leave. Okay, let's go to Tom in Port Colborne. Hi, Tom. Hey, how are you? Fine, how are you? Uh, Not too bad. I just had lunch. (laughs) I just want to talk a little bit about what long-term care homes are going through. Uh, Since I'm in one myself, uh, my legs don't work anymore, but the rest of me seems to be uh, okay. Um, The thing is that we're very, very short of staff here. Uh, You've got a a 1 to 72 ratio in terms of uh, people giving out drugs in the morning, which, by the way, are very, very complicated. I think I'm on 19 of them or something like that. Wow. So uh, you get approximately, uh, according to the ministry, you need four hours per day per person, which is totally ridiculous. Uh, the ministry has got to get up here and see how the, how the, the long-term cares are run correctly. And Northland Point, in Port Coburn, is one of the absolute best, okay? And uh, they've got wonderful supervisors, wonderful nurses, but the problem is they're shorthanded all the time on every single shift, okay? So that's the point I wanted to make for Friday, and I wanted to compliment you people on keeping this sort of channel open on a Friday afternoon to help preserve democracy. I know I phone in every day almost or every Friday. And I, 
I've got a, a lot to say, but I do thank you for the opportunity. And uh, uh, that's what happens. We got to get the ministry up here and see what we're doing right. Okay, okay. well, I'm, I'm glad that uh, things are going well for you and you're being well taken care of, Tom. Thanks for your call. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, do I have time for one more? I'll take Maria in Etobicoke. Hi, Maria. Hi, Libby. I just want to give a positive shout-out about the CARP AGM yesterday. Um, Moses gave an, a superb, um, I was going to say rehearsal, but no, it was a report in the um, uh, CARP uh, AGM uh, agenda, and we had two interesting speakers. Uh, we had uh, Mr. Singh and we had Moira Welsh, and people should buy her book because she has given superb articles on long-term care, and she's visited all over North America and even in Europe with models and so on. So it was um, it was a most illuminating afternoon. So thanks for that. Okay, Maria, thank you for that. You're welcome. Okay. All right. Uh, you know what? Uh, very quickly, I'm going to take Judy in Richmond Hill. You've been waiting a long time. You want to talk about your tax refund not coming? Yeah. We only have like 30 seconds. When did you file? Yeah, can I call you back next week? You can. Because I'm really burned up about this. But when did you file it? In September, because they, every, everything that was free was closed because of the covid and uh, H&R Block won at $290. Okay. Uh, call me back next week. It sounds like a long story. Yeah. Okay. But very important for seniors. Okay. Thank you, Judy. You're welcome. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, that is all the time we have for Fight Back for today and for this week. I'm Libby Snymer. I'll be back here on Monday, which is Family Day. Have a great re- weekend, everyone. Happy Valentine's Day. Gong hei fat choi. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.